You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. We're continuing our look at the, at the book of Proverbs. We're getting very close to the end of the book, in fact. And today we're in Proverbs chapter 27. And when we get down today to verses 17 and 18, we're going to see something that I would assume for many of us tends to be a more familiar portion of Scripture about how we can sharpen one another as believers. But I think you're going to see as we look at this uh, chapter and sections from this chapter, we're going to hop around in this chapter a little bit today, we're actually going to see multiple ways that we can stay sharp and then sharpen one another. And there are more than four ways in this chapter that this gets highlighted. But this morning during our time together, we're going to highlight four specific ways that I think are shown to us in this particular chapter of ways that we can stay sharp while sharpening one another. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs 27. And uh, I'll begin with verse 1, but I'm going to be hopping around a little bit, so I'll let you know where we're jumping to as we jump to different verses. But verse 1 of Proverbs 27 says this, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. Then if you jump down to verse 5, it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And then verse 10 tells us this, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. And then jump down to verse 17 where it says this, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that it is to be able to look at your word together this morning. We're grateful for it. We're grateful to see it, to be able to read it, to be able to apply it, and to think about the things that you've communicated to us here. We know, Lord, that this is a gift, and this is a, a, a real treasure that we have the opportunity to be able to think about these things. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help our minds and our hearts to be ready to, to receive what your word states today, and that you'd show us as we discuss what your word reveals, how to apply these things to our lives and, and actually live these out on a day-to-day basis. So Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things that has become very clear to me over the course of my life is that the quality of my life is directly impacted by those I surround myself with. Would you say that that's something that you've noticed about yourself as well? The the quality of your life, it really is directly impacted by the nature of the relationships you surround yourself with. So there are people in my life, and I can think of very specific people that fall into this category, many of which are in this building right now, that I can point to that have sharpened me in very helpful ways over the course of years, 
People in my life from growing up, people in my family, people in this room that have sharpened me in very, very helpful ways. And then there are others, when I think about the, the, the course of my life and just people I've known throughout my days, there are people that I've also had the privilege to know that seem to have a dulling effect, if I'm honest with you. There are people in my life that seem to have a dulling effect, and, and I can even take that one step further. There are some people um, that I, I love and I care about, but al- almost seem to have a depressive effect if I allow it in my life. And so maybe you have noticed that as well. The quality of our life is directly impacted by those we interact with. Now, at this season of my life, I'll tell you one of my goals. This is something I actually try and be rather intentional about, and maybe some of you are finding yourself doing more and more of this over time as well. But one of my goals is to surround myself intentionally with people who sharpen me spiritually and who sharpen me emotionally and who sharpen me relationally. There are people that I want to surround myself with that sharpen me in each of those areas. And so I want to be making intentional investments in those areas in my life. I know that the people that I invite into my life also have that opportunity. But I also want that investment to be mutual. I, I don't want to just be a taker in those categories. I want to be one of those people who actually gives mutual benefit. If somebody is investing in my life, I want to be the type of person that's mutually investing in their life as well. So as others sharpen me, I want to reciprocate that blessing. I want to be active in trying to sharpen others. Now, Proverbs 27, which we just read some sections of just a moment ago, and I'd encourage you if you get the opportunity to read through the entire chapter because there's lots of helpful content there. But we're just focusing on the four sections that I read for us just a moment ago. This chapter, Proverbs 27, is a very helpful chapter for many reasons, including the fact that I think it demonstrates at least four ways that we can stay sharp while sharpening others. And one of the things that it brings up right away, I think is particularly helpful. And when you look at the first two verses, it teaches us that we should be people who who boast about God's sovereignty and providence, as opposed to boasting about lesser things. Look at the things it teaches us not to boast about. Let me reread these for us. It says in verse one, it says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth a stranger, and not your own lips. Let's pause there for just a second. The older I get, the less likely I am to take the liberty to make definitive uh, predictions about the future. The older I get, the less likely I I am to do that. I don't want to do that because what I've learned over the course of my years is that when you make those definitive projections or predictions about the future— Half the time, they don't even come to pass. It's probably even less than half the time that they come to pass. And I was even thinking about it, particularly when you think of what today's date is, right? We're at the halfway point of March. And so I never would have predicted what this past year was going to look like. I actually thought that there were certain patterns and routines and and mundane things that were part of my life that would just remain part of my life. I thought last year our, our family outings would look the same. I thought our weekly schedule would look the same. I had no idea that everything was going to be altered in some way or canceled in some way or changed in some way. Never would have predicted it. Obviously, none of us would have predicted it. And looking forward, The truth is, even though I'm optimistic about a variety of things, I have no idea what the future holds. I have no idea what this next year is going to look like. I don't even know what the rest of today is going to look like or the rest of this week is going to look like, although I do hope that during the course of the rest of this week that whatever remaining pieces of snow are still on the ground melt 
That will bring me lots of happiness. I notice we have one parking spot that still has snow out there. You notice that? I'm like, come on. Why do you have to hang on, right? Just one. Next week, no snow. Although, now that I said that, am I boasting about tomorrow? You know, am I making a prediction about the future? But it's interesting because even the things that we think are mundane or even the things that we think are inconsequential can look very different. Or maybe they don't happen at all. So why boast about the things we have no capacity to predict, right? And that's kind of what Solomon's getting at here. Solomon's teaching us not to be the kind of people who are boastful, right? He's teaching me, he's teaching you, don't be boastful. Don't be the kind of person that's boastful. So he's basically saying, why boast about tomorrow? You have no idea what it's going to bring. So don't boast about things that aren't under your control. But he also says here that we shouldn't boast about ourselves, And I want us to think about his words here from the perspective of of being followers of Jesus Christ. Why, as a follower of Christ, should we not boast about ourselves? I think it's obvious why we shouldn't boast about tomorrow, because we have no control over it. But why shouldn't we boast about ourselves? Well, when you think about it, do unhealthy pride or unhealthy conceit reflect the heart of Christ? Of course they don't. So if we want to reflect the heart of Christ, we don't want to be people who spend time boasting about ourselves or boasting about things that we have no control over. Rather, if we're going to boast about anything, the most useful thing we could boast about is something that matters, meaning God's sovereignty or God's providence. We have no control about tomorrow or over tomorrow, so why boast about tomorrow? But we do know the one who is sovereign over all tomorrows. And since he is sovereign over all tomorrows... I'm going to boast about him. I'm not going to boast about me. I'm not going to boast about my predictions. I'm going to look at what he has said or what he has revealed about himself because his hand is providentially on the history of humanity. And Scripture makes it very clear that he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. He's working all things together for the good of those who know him. He's steering human history. He's steering it all toward the day when we will all bow the knee before him and we will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I'm not going to boast about my thoughts about tomorrow. I'm not going to boast about myself, but I will boast about the one who is sovereign. I will boast about the one who can control the future. I will boast about the one who in his providence chooses to bless us in ways that we don't deserve. And I think that has a sharpening effect on me and my mindset, but it also has a sharpening effect on those that I have the opportunity to interact with because it tends to become the culture of the relationship. Well, Solomon shows us some other sharpening things that I think are useful to notice when you look at verses 5 and 6. And in verses 5 and 6, he challenges us with something that I actually think is rather difficult to put into practice. This is something that is much easier for me to read to you than it is for me to implement this in my life. And this is something that's much easier for you you to hear about than to actually practice. But look at what he says when you look at verses 5 and 6, because here he teaches us to welcome the feedback of those who love us on our worst days. Now, why am I phrasing it like that? Welcome the feedback of those who love us on our worst days. He says it like this. He says it in verse 5 and 6. He says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Think about his statements there for just a second. 
Now, I'll tell you this. Growing up, I had a variety of hobbies. I don't know if some of you have hobbies now or if you had some hobbies growing up that were different. I had a variety of hobbies. One of my hobbies was I, I enjoyed writing. And sometimes I would write things that you could say is like, an, like, a, like a, a nonfiction article or a teaching piece or something that, that if my writing at the time was good enough, you'd say like, all right, that's the type of thing that you would put as a section in a book or something like that. Sometimes I would write like that. But most often during that season of my life, you know what I would write? Music. I would write songs. That's what I used to write all the time. I would lose track of time as I was writing songs. And I would write song after song after song, and I loved it. And here's the danger that you run into when you try and put something together that's creative. Because you're excited about it, and as soon as you're excited about it, you want to show somebody the thing that you've created. The Lord blessed me with two younger sisters who were my audience for everything that I ever put together or my guinea pigs, or my test subjects, whatever you want to call them. Right now, if they're joining us on the live stream, they're probably rolling their eyes, thinking of specific examples. But I would take that content, I would take those song lyrics, and I would share that with them, and then I would wait for their feedback. And half the time, you know what their feedback was like? And I was like, come on, like, this is still, I'm still excited about this, right? So it can be hard when when you put yourself out there, right, in any way, whether it be creatively or whether it just be in day-to-day living life, it can be hard when you put something out there because you don't know the response you're going to get. You have no idea. It's hard at times to receive feedback, but feedback and critique, it's actually something we all need in a variety of areas. If you're good at your job, you're part of what factored into you getting good at what you do is because somewhere along the way probably gave you feedback. Either you got feedback from the customers you serve, or you got feedback from the people that mentored you in your role, or you got feedback in other ways. But the truth is, feedback, critique, we all need it, but I don't think it's something that we automatically want to hear. And here's why I'll say that I think that that's true. I don't think these verses would be in the Bible if this was something we were automatic about. I think if I automatically welcomed feedback, I don't know that the Lord would bother to have inspired this to be written down because I'd automatically be doing it. This is the type of thing that the the Lord puts in Scripture, I think, to challenge us in ways that sometimes can make us uncomfortable because we don't want to go in that direction, but we desperately need to go in that direction. So it can be especially difficult to receive critique when you are regularly on the receiving end of unhelpful criticism. So maybe your day-to-day life involves a lot of unhelpful criticism. Well, sometimes it can be hard to discern. Am I receiving unhelpful criticism right now, or am I receiving uh, helpful critique or helpful feedback? I know that that's something I have, like, if I'm honest with you, that sometimes I, I have to take a moment and kind of process it. And I think that that's why certainly it's valuable to evaluate the feedback that we receive and think about the source or the motivation maybe for why it's being shared. But, but think about this. There's two different ways that feedback is received or two different ways that it's given. And I think it's far different to, to receive critique from those who love you on your worst days, right? So think about those people. It's far different to receive critique from those who love you on your worst days than it is to receive unfair criticism who dis- from those who despise you on your best days. And so you want to think about that. You know, does this, is this the type of person who despises me on my best days? Or is this the type of person who loves me on my worst days? 
And if someone still loves you on your worst days, that's a good source of critique right there. That's a good source of honest feedback. Those are the kind of wounds of a friend that I think Solomon is talking about here. And it could be very helpful in a lot of ways. And so Solomon teaches us here that the verbal wounds of a friend can be trusted. We can trust those words. Even though they may initially sting, we can still trust the verbal wounds of a friend. Their words are meant to sharpen us. As believers in Jesus Christ, those words are actually meant to to enable us to grow in our walk with Christ, to sharpen our walk with Christ. The input that you and I receive from other believers, it's actually a gift that the Holy Spirit makes use of to help us grow in our sanctification. When you think about feedback, when you think about critique from those who genuinely love you, that can aid you as you seek to walk in holiness, as you seek to grow in sanctification. It can be a tool that the Holy Spirit uses to help you grow exponentially. So be open to the kind of help that he's providing to you from those who genuinely love you. But sometimes it works on the other way, or sometimes it looks a little different when people receive critique or criticism. In fact, not very long ago, less than a month ago, if I'm honest with you, uh, a friend of mine, someone I've known really most of my life, uh, decided to make a really bad decision, a terrible decision. And several of us that are close to him thought, Does that, is anyone going to say anything? Like, do we say anything? Because, you know, sometimes it's awkward, even though, you know, somebody needs to say something. You're thinking, like, does anybody say anything? Like, what is his response going to be? And so a couple of us said something, hoping to be helpful. It was really kind of a dangerous decision. And you know what his response was? This is almost an exact quote. You are not allowed to talk to me about things like that. You are not allowed to talk to me about things like that. That's what he said. You are not allowed to talk to me about things like that. And ironically, it was the thing that, it, that he most needed somebody to talk to him about. But he shut down to it. So he made his decision. Now he experiences the consequences, and it's unfortunate. But I was thinking about that because I always think it's way easier to point out somebody else's faults than to look at our own. And I was wondering, as I was thinking about these verses and thinking about that recent experience, how often does our relationship with the Lord take on the same flavor as that conversation? Meaning, how many times in your life or how many times in my life has the Lord attempted to speak to us? And the response we gave to him was pretty similar to that response, basically saying, you know what, Lord, you're not allowed to talk to me about things like that. It makes me wonder how many times in my life I've done that, where I've just kind of shut out the voice of God because he was talking to me about something I didn't want to hear about, or he was talking through someone who loved me to me about something I didn't want to hear about, but because it made me feel uncomfortable. I wasn't eager to receive it. That can be a hard, it's a hard balance. It's a, that's not an easy thing to wrestle with. It's something that we really need the Lord to foster a sense of humility in our hearts for us to actually excel at, because naturally speaking, our pride gets in the way of being able to hear the kind of feedback that we need to hear. So I don't want to live my life looking at those that love me and saying, hey, you know what? You're not allowed to talk to me about that. You're not allowed to talk to me about that. You're not allowed to talk to me about that. I don't want that to be the pattern of my life. And I certainly don't want that to be the pattern in my relationship with the Lord. But keep in mind, frequently the Lord uses other people to communicate his message 
to us. So sometimes when we're ignoring the counsel of those who love us, we're actually ignoring the voice of God as he's speaking through them. And so Solomon here is trying to give us helpful counsel. Don't ignore helpful feedback. Welcome the feedback, particularly of those who love you on your worst days and have shown you that they will stick with you in the midst of all things. And in a very related way, look at, look at how the scripture transitions when we get into verse 10 with all of that in mind. Because in verse 10, I actually think we're being encouraged to model the loyalty of Jesus. In your relationships, in my relationships, I think we're encouraged to model the loyalty of Jesus. But look at how it's phrased in verse 10. It says, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. So, it's no accident that you know the people that you know right now. And what I mean by that is this, the relationships that the Lord's blessed you with are intentional. These are not accidental relationships. The people that you know are in your life on purpose. And when your seasons of trial and when your seasons of testing come, you will indeed feel far less anxious if you reach out to those that you trust and if you reach out to those who are willing to help you by shouldering the burden with you, those that have demonstrated that, that, that they're on your side and, and willing to do that for you. And that's something that the Lord's been making very clear to me during this season of life in particular, that I need to look to those people that have modeled the loyalty of Jesus to me and give them opportunity to share burdens that I'm feeling and trials or tests that I'm going through at different seasons of my life. It helps navigate those seasons more clearly. And it also becomes clear over time that, yes, there are people in your life that are loyal and show you the loyalty of Jesus, but there are also people in your life who will only be there for a short period of time. I've heard it said that we have lifelong friends, and then we have some five-minute friends. We got lifelong friends, we got some five-minute friends. Well, based on what Solomon teaches in this particular portion of Scripture, I actually think it would be wise for us to try not to be in the five-minute friend category, to, to not let that become the pattern of what our relationships look like or our friendships look like. And here you look at what Solomon says. He's basically teaching us not to forsake our friends. And I also like the way he says it here. The way he says it here. He says, uh, he says, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, right? Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. So he's teaching us not to forsake our friends. He's also teaching us not to forsake friends of our family, right? You have family friends. Don't forsake your father's friend either. In this passage, what he's doing is he's expressing loyalty. He's expressing faithfulness and what it looks like. And these are traits that are modeled best by our Lord Jesus Christ, These are also traits that should be modeled and visible in our life as we claim to follow Christ. Now, I'm grateful for the loyalty of Christ in my life. It's one of the things that I'm extremely grateful for. Uh, I'm grateful that He's not only my Lord, but Scripture tells me He's my friend. He's my Lord and He's my friend. How does that work? Isn't that amazing to think about that the Lord, that He would describe Himself as your friend? the one who created you, and yet also your friend. And I have to say, even though the majority of relationships that I've experienced in this world have been somewhat conditional in nature, his friendship isn't like that at all. 
And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that because we're so used to relationships having a conditional component to them. You know, when you think about some of the people that have been in your life, particularly some of those five-minute friends, why were they your friend for that five-minute period of time? Sometimes it was because you offered something to them that they needed, and then as soon as they got it, they're like, hey, thanks, bye, (laughs) right? It's like, hey, wait a second. Oh, no, bye, I'm done. I got what I need from you. Do you ever have that moment where you're like, I feel so used? (laughs) Do you ever have friendships like that? That's the worst. I mean, do we even call that a friendship? But it happens, right? And I think because we've been burned like that, I've been burned that way. I'm sure you've been burned that way. I think sometimes it's hard for us to wrestle with the thought of our Lord being so loyal to us because life is filled with so many five-minute friends, so many conditional relationships, people that love us as long as they can get something from us, but the second you, you take that something away, that friendship seems to go away as well. Well, the Lord's friendship isn't like that at all. He sees you, He sees me on our best days, He sees us on our worst days, and He's not ashamed to call us his brother. He's not ashamed to call us his friend. One of my favorite portions of Scripture is from Hebrews chapter 2. I want to read it for us. It encourages me every time I read it. And I I love what it says. It says, in Hebrews 2, verse 11, it says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. The fact that the Lord would look at you and he would look at me and he would say, I'm not ashamed to call you brother. I'm not ashamed to call you brother. That that's the nature of our relationship with the Lord. If we genuinely have faith in Jesus Christ, he is not ashamed to call you brother, to call you family, to call you deepest level friend. And when I look at the loyalty that Christ shows us, it makes me wonder, who are we blessing with a taste of that kind of loyalty? You know, who gets to be blessed with it? I mean, we get to be blessed with it because Jesus gives it to us. But the people he's placed in our life are there very intentionally. And I think we have the opportunity to bless them with that same kind of sense, to show them we're not five-minute friends. That we could demonstrate the kind of loyalty that Christ has demonstrated to us. Who, Who in your life would say that they are convinced that you will still love them and care for them, that they're still your brother, that they're still your sister, even on their worst days? I always find it interesting when, like, sometimes I feel, do you ever feel like the Lord's setting you up for something? Do you ever feel like he's doing that? You're like, Lord, this is a total setup. This is a total setup. So, obviously, I've known all week that I was going to be preaching on this, right? This wasn't a mystery. I knew that this week I was preaching on Proverbs 27, so not a mystery. So, I always find it curious and interesting when the Lord will put a test in my path right before I have to preach on a passage. Almost like confirmation, like, hey, are you going to have integrity when you preach about this on Sunday, or are you just going to punk out and not do what you're supposed to do? So this got tested in my life over the course of this past week. This idea of receiving loyalty from Christ and then showing that loyalty to somebody else. Well, I had the privilege to show that to somebody over the course of this past week. So here's something cool that's happening in my life. Some of you know about this and some of you don't. So in the So I had the opportunity over the course of this past year to write a book. Now, those of you that know me well know that I've been writing books for a long time, but this one's different. This one got picked up by a major publisher. And so that major publisher is going to be putting on like a a full-court press on plugging this book at the end of May. 
And one of the things that they said to me, they gave me a list of things to do. After the book went through editing and everything else, they said, all right, here's what you have to do. The next thing we need you to do is to reach out to other authors and ask them if they would consider endorsing your book, because that helps with social credibility. And I said, okay, I'll reach out to other authors. I know some other authors, but some I don't. So I reached out to some I didn't know, and some said yes, so that was great. In fact, one of my favorite authors said, yes, I'm going to endorse your book. It was through the moon, right? I don't know if that's an actual phrase, but if it's not, I just made it. To the moon, through the moon, I went in some direction, and it was very, <laughs> it was very um, over the moon. Thank you. That's right. I need this side to help me, like, what are my words? What's the rest of the message going to say? Like, just keep, me, keep coaching me as I go. Over the moon. I was over the moon. We could edit that out of the recording, right? It's over the moon, maybe through the moon, beside the moon, whatever preposition you want to use. Did I tell you I wrote a book? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's what editors are for. Um, <laughs> so, all right, so some I reached out to, and they were like, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but I didn't know them super well or at all. And then others I reached out to that I know very well. And one particular author uh, wrote a, a very favorable endorsement for the book, and then she sent it in, and then was totally questioning whether or not that endorsement should ever be in there. And she called me, and my wife and I were talking to her together just the other day, and she said, I, can I just talk to you guys for a quick second? And again, this is someone we're personal friends with. And she said, all right, here's the deal. I love the book. And I, I wrote the endorsement. She said, I actually read the book twice and then wrote the endorsement. And she said, I'm concerned about something. She said, I haven't been a Christian a long time. I've only been a Christian for a short period of time. And she said, this is a neat opportunity for you. And I'm concerned that if you associate with me, that if my name is on this thing there, and then some sort of thing from my past that I'm not crazy about, uh, then shows up or, or whatever, that somehow that reflects poorly on you. That's what she said. And she said, so I, I wrote the endorsement, I meant every word of it, but I'm not going to be upset with you if you decide to take it out because maybe you wouldn't want to associate with me or have my name in your book. And I said, are you kidding me? I, I said, I don't care about any of that. I, don't, I said, I literally don't care about any of that. Jesus is not ashamed to be my friend. Jesus is not ashamed to be your friend. And I said, I will never be ashamed to be your friend either. And I, I mean it. And I said, I want, I want your words in there. I want it in there. And I have no shame about being associated with you. And I hope that ministered to her. But I thought it was interesting how in looking at a portion of Scripture like this, Scripture's teaching us to model the loyalty of Christ. We don't deserve his favor. We don't deserve his friendship. It's not like we had anything to offer him that he couldn't have had anyway. And it's not like we don't all have seasons of our past or even our present that we would look at and say, yeah, that's less than favorable. It's not my highest moment. And yet Jesus, as we see in Hebrews 2.11, is not ashamed to call us brothers. And if he's not ashamed to associate with me, and if he's not ashamed to associate with you as we trust in him, as we walk with him, we have the opportunity to bless one another with that same kind of loyalty. I'm not interested in being a five-minute friend because that's not the kind of friend that Jesus has been to me. I thought it was interesting to experience a little bit of a test of that in what I thought was a meaningful way 
over the course of this past week, but what a blessing it was to share that with somebody else. And likewise, a blessing to just reflect on what it's like to be a recipient of that kind of blessing. What a blessing that is. And Christ offers that to us. One other thing that this scripture points out to us that I want to highlight for us today, when we think about staying sharp, but also sharpening others, and that's this. Make generous investments in the lives of other people. Look at the way it's phrased here in verses 17 and 18. It says this, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. Uh, by the way, is anyone here good at sewing? I'm not going to ask you to fix something for me. I'll, I'll also preface that. All right. So some of you are. All right. Well, I learned something very recently about sewing that fits with what this scripture is saying. Have you ever noticed that pin cushions, so for your sewing needles, pin cushions, why is it that somewhere along the way, someone made one of those look like a tomato? And from that point on, every brand through all history has to, like a pin cushion can only look like a tomato. Have you noticed this? I've noticed this my whole life. Why does it look like a tomato? Well, I had a curiosity question that my wife was able to answer for me just the other day. She was sewing something for me. And I'm looking at this pin cushion she has, and I'm like, all right, my whole life they've all looked like tomatoes. But what's the deal with the thing that looks like a strawberry coming off the tomato, right? I don't know if it's supposed to look like a strawberry. To me, it looks like a strawberry. It's like on a string hanging off that some of you are saying, yeah, it's supposed to look like... Okay, who thought that part up? I was like, what's the deal with the mini pincushion on the big pincushion? And she said, that one has a purpose that's different than the other one. That's the one that you, you poke your needles in if you need to sharpen them up or if you need to clean them off. You sharpen them up in that. And I was like, oh, that's what that's for? I didn't know that. And I, ha- I have a sneaky suspicion by some of your faces that you didn't know that either, right? Some of you definitely did, but some of you are like, I didn't know that. And some of you are like, what's this tomato thing again? Never mind, right? But the point being, all kinds of tools need to be sharpened after regular use. It doesn't matter what kind of tool it is, if it has a blade or a sharp edge of some kind, it needs to be sharpened after some sort of regular use. And sometimes you use something like a stone to accomplish the task. In the case of iron, Solomon brings up the fact that iron can actually be sharpened by the same thing that it is. You could actually use, you don't have to use something different to sharpen iron. You could use iron to sharpen iron. And the reason he brings that up is because people operate in the same way. Like, just like iron can be used to sharpen iron, people are used to sharpen people. We all have the opportunity to sharpen one another. We all have the privilege of making generous investments in one another's lives. You are the person that you are, and I am the person I am, largely due to the generous investments that somebody else has made in our lives. There are so many elements of your life and my life that are the way they are because somebody took the time to make generous investments in us along the way. And it starts with the fact that Jesus generously gave himself for us. And then it continues with the fact that the Holy Spirit lives within us, and, is, and he's transforming our thinking, he's transforming our living. And then it continues even further with the fact that we as followers of Christ, who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, have the opportunity to show interest in the lives of others and be used of God to refine them, to make intentional investments in the lives of other people. Uh, Abe Lincoln, who was like a walking proverb 
said something interesting at one point. Maybe you've heard this quote from him. He said this. He said, if you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I will spend the first four sharpening my axe. Do you ever hear that? You give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first four hours sharpening my axe. That's a cool thought. It's like, be sharp so that you can accomplish what you're supposed to do with efficiency, with effectiveness. We want to be sharp as believers in Christ so that we can make others sharp, so that we can accomplish in their life what the Lord's called us to accomplish. The time we, the time we invest in, uh, in becoming spiritually, emotionally, and relationally sharp, it has great value, not only for ourselves, but also for the people that the Lord gives us the privilege to help sharpen as well. And so as we finish up this morning, I just want you to think about one last thought. I want you to think about the people that the Lord's blessed you with that have sharpened you, but I also want you to think about the season of life that you're at, and it really doesn't matter what age you're at. There are people in your life that are there on purpose that the Lord has placed you in their life so that you can be a sharpening force for them as He uses you to be the one that He speaks through into the life of other people. We are sharp so that we can help sharpen as the Holy Spirit facilitates that in the lives of those who know and love and trust Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to look at these things together today. We're just so grateful for the fact that that you reveal these things in your word. You teach us what it looks like to be made sharp, and you, you show us what it looks like to invest that into the lives of other people, that blessing that you've given to us. We have the privilege to invest it in others, to help others become sharp spiritually, emotionally, relationally, as we all seek to walk with you. Lord, the people you've placed in our life, we know that they're not there accidentally. Our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our church family, these are not people that we know by accident. And so, Lord, we pray that we would continue to make those intentional investments, but that we would also yield ourselves over to you completely, that we would yield ourselves over to the direction of your Spirit, that we would listen to your counsel, that we wouldn't fight against you, that we wouldn't ignore your voice. And we pray, Lord, that by your grace that we would ultimately grow to the level of maturity that you desire that we grow to. Lord, we know that that's not something that we can even grow to alone. We know that we need others pouring into our lives for that to even be the case. But at the same time, Lord, you haven't called us to just be continual receivers. We're also to be givers. And so we pray that we would bless others with the blessings that we've received as you've orchestrated those blessings to come into our lives. Lord, thank you again for the privilege to be able to look at your word together this morning. And as you empower us to do so, we pray that we would live these things out. And we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.